0: Beyond the the headlines, this is World Insight. From San Francisco, I'm Tian Wei, and this is World Insight. So how are we looking at the state of the economy of this region?
1: And let's be fair here for a second. The amount of trade between the two countries and the importance of the two countries to the world, very, very important.
2: So why then put us in the fix? Uh, in the zero-sum
0: game. I'm so glad that I'm joined by a very capable international business leader, Bob Morris, Global Chairman of PwC. What do you think might be some of the latest signs that could help us to analyze better about the real state of the global economy? Yeah.
1: What has happened over the last few years is organizations have worried about the concentration risk in supply chains, the resiliency of supply chains, and other aspects like that. Many governments are trying to incent more onshoring as well from a policy perspective. But the CEO community, the C suite, has continued to focus on four major themes. Are the economics right? Do I have the resiliency and agility of that supply chain from a particular organization and or country? Mm. Can I actually be greener and cleaner? And likewise, can I get the data to make faster, better decisions? So the two new things right now are the green element of that supply chain and the data. And that's where digitization technology and AI will be really important for management teams to think about how can we create opportunities for people to use our supply chains, Mm. either corporates or the countries that are actually providing them? And that's where the upside is going forward for countries and companies. What do you think the
0: business leaders would like to say to the political leaders that are coming here during the APEC week? What is likely to be the common ground between the business community and the political leaders.
1: So so let me take this from three angles. First, as it relates to particularly the big elephant in the room, the China-US relationships, what we're looking for is a a de-escalation and more bringing the temperature down in terms of a little bit more normalcy. It can never necessarily be totally normal, but a little bit more normalcy than Mm -hmm. the tension-filled world that we've had, particularly over the last year since we were last together. Second is the signs that there's a willingness and a wanting to actually continue the trade. And last but not least is to make sure that, I'll call it the technocrats, those that should be talking to one another regularly about policy changes and trade agreements and other aspects are able to talk more freely to enable the infrastructure and and, and trade and direct investment to actually move forward. And that's the importance of today. The second point though is let's not limit this to just the US and China. The reason this particular group of people together is exactly that, which is, how do I get more policies and procedures in place, more certainty in place to actually move forward? And last but not least, as the third element here, is how do you indicate the signs of the direction of travel? Because when you're making decisions in the supply chain, you're thinking about not only the conditions that exist today, but the conditions that will exist over the next three, five years, because you're looking for that stability. What does it take? to have real dialogues. The reality is though, you want to enable trust. And trust means you have to deliver on what you committed to deliver previously. And that's equally as important. So it's one thing to have dialogue and discussion, but it's another thing to execute and deliver against that dialogue to enable future trust so the foundation is even stronger moving forward. So as we sit here today, the one thing I would say is discussion isn't good enough. It's the execution of getting things done that's gonna be equally important to enable that trust to continue to sustain itself.
0: Having said that though, how are we going to set all of these conversations with the backdrop of the Asia Pacific?
1: As a business leader, I would say for PwC and for that matter all of our clients, we see a lot of upside in the region. And you see that upside driven by three primary rationales. One is the domestic economies are continuing to grow. The Mm. trends underlying those are very important. As you think about the rise of the consumer and the consumer what they need in terms of goods and services. The second thing is that those particular countries and the companies within them are now more alternative sources for supply chain and creation of goods and services and important to the worldwide economy. And that's equally as important. And last but not least, It is not only the issues of the economy, but the contributions that will come from this part of the world as well to future endeavors. Technology digitization AI is a good example of that, where the skill sets today are fantastic in the region to actually be leveraged and and turned into a big opportunity. So it's not only the economics, it's also the policy setting, the standard setting and other aspects that are really important. And we hope that the countries in this room, in this cooperative are more so at the table, at the global table to make sure that their points of view are being brought and the advances and in innovation that are happening here are brought to the rest of the world. We have seen these Asia Pacific
0: region very dynamic in bringing consensus. Would that be a wonderful precedence in terms of people coming to consensus on all the technology related governance as well particularly regarding generative AI, as you said.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Where are we
0: now? Once again, the state of the world.
1: We're at that early stage, but I do think there's an opportunity for the discussions today and what comes out of these meetings to continue to be a role model for the world and then for the world to jump in, but but to make sure that we are having them in a a very open way, because there is different points of view on this. And back to your point around discussion, it's gonna be discussion, agreement, and then ultimately framing this up in the right way for people to apply it at the local level. And I do think there's a big opportunity. Organizations are seeing it today in terms of the amount of innovation that's happening in this part of the world. And I think they're gonna want this going forward because you need that trust Mm. in the AI as that becomes both demonstrably important to them to deal with effectiveness and efficiency as we go through a slowing economy and margin improvement, But at the same time, AI is dealing with that and disrupting entirely strategies and business propositions of corporates and for that matter, countries as well. Mm. And the
0: wonderful thing is how will the latest AI technologies and governance of it work with the sustainability, which is one of the core issues that we have seen being focused on during this year's uh, APEC CEO Summit. So what do you see is likely to be the synergy here?
1: There's a first question, which is the definition of sustainability. Right. If we're going to think about climate, there's a huge opportunity for how AI can actually help with that. Now, let's get very granular for a second. If I'm thinking about the efficiency of a building, there's not enough humans and not enough computing power right now to actually indicate how it can be most effective and efficient in energy use of that particular building. And the AI is powerful enough today, and the computing power power is sufficient enough today to do much better than the human decisions can be. There's a tremendous opportunity as a result to think about how can we drive for more efficiency using AI as we think about the energy uses of buildings like this, for example. Having said that, you've got another element of sustainability, and that is the implications to humanity and labor. And as AI comes forward, there's many different doomsday discussions around how many jobs will be taken away from that. And yes, if we don't actually think about how do we enable the AI to be more effective and efficient, while at the same time redeploy the talent in new and different areas, we will have a mismatch, which will create more social unrest, which is something we cannot afford to have. And what we're talking about here is a pretty big timing gap. Humanity has proven over time, anytime there's a large scale transformation impactful on labor, we have historically been really good sometime thereafter of figuring out what to do with that excess labor capacity and put it into new and different ways. Mm -hmm. There's an equal need to deal with that innovation as much as it is the use of the AI to think about the supply and the demand of talent. So when we think about sustainability, we should be thinking climate clearly because we're not doing enough and we are far behind as will be evidenced in some of the COP discussions coming up but let's not forget the implications to labor, workforce, and humanity overall as well. We see geopolitics changes so much over the past
0: few years, and that people are wondering whether we should wait for decisions coming so-called from the big powers, or rather we should have parallel passages with different players trying to play their role and trying to bring consensus together. Of course, this means a lot of different chemistries. You know, which one to you as a business leader? would likely to work the best.
1: The reality is we're not in a world where we can afford to wait for the powers to be to make a decision and rely on government alone or anybody else to actually make that decision. Innovation at the local levels cascaded up and then ultimately scaled up is the way to make progress. And what we see in the world today is the business community even more so, the, the concepts within the business community actually driving the innovation. It, be it the deployment of capital yeah. in the AI space or the deployment of finance in the climate space. And we can no longer afford to wait for government policy degree. That's gonna take way too long. So it's actually gotta be the combination of business working together more so in their ecosystems to drive the change. And to your point, Tian, the reality is when business does this, it's not just what they do with themselves for themselves. It's what they do with themselves and within the ecosystem they're operating with. And climate's a great example of this, where any individual company can make some decisions, but it's not enough. What they need to do is actually deal with scope three and other elements of their supply chain mm-hmm. and to force that to happen to work much more so together. So it's gonna be a lot of little things that ultimately they get scaled up to drive the change that's needed to be much more sustainable and achieve the goals we're looking to achieve. We can't afford to wait for some grand decision or a big bang theory that's gonna come through to save us.
0: Uh, So how to make sure things like greenwashing, PR, mainly uh, related to the so-called discussions of uh, AI governance, and also meanwhile, how would business work with political leaders when there are rules that are preventing free trade that are preventing the flow of data and consensus of data among business and between business and the societies.
1: First off, as you think about climate, greenwashing and all the elements of that, you do need a set of standards for what should be reported and trust within that and accountability. To give people a sense, if you look at the European companies today, the top 50 of them, there's rules and regulations about what they should report, and the system hasn't changed. What I mean by that is the incentives for management changes have come to life. What is really interesting, Tian, if you look at last year's discussions, only one of 50 CEOs had their compensation impacted because they did not meet the green objectives, one. So it either tells you we're not putting enough emphasis on that or our setting of the goal was way too low. What do you think, which one? I actually think it's probably a combination of the two (laughs) that actually gets you there. But the reality is you have to change the entirety of the system. What is the strategy at a a senior level within the C-suite? How are you incenting the right behaviors? Are you having the right necessary data to make the better decisions? Mm. And how can you survive and thrive? What's interesting in this part of the world, almost 60% of the CEOs in this part of the world believe their businesses are not gonna be sustainable if they don't radically change in the next 10 years. Mm. They're gonna have to move with speed. They're gonna be very agile to deal with these policy decisions that are changing radically and are uncertain. And it's gonna be the benefit of those leadership teams that actually are most agile to take advantage of opportunities and mitigate the downsized risks. They need better data, quicker decision, less bureaucracy. I'm gonna say that's gonna be important for corporates as much as it's gonna be important for governments.
0: Mr. Moritz, it's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, Tian. Thank you
0: so much. Beyond the, head- Beyond the headlines, this is World Insight. What does this region mean, Asia Pacific, in terms of bringing the best to the state of the world? <laughs> Mr. Prime Minister, from your perspective. Mm.
2: Thank you, Tianwei. Um, you should always start with the easy questions, not the difficult ones. <laughs> I'm familiar with Tianwei for a number of times, and, and thank you for this opportunity. It's August assembly and um, important players and role. Uh, you started with this question about the role of political leadership. There's a lot of, this, uh, of, of, of trust deficit among political leaders. And you want uh, a vibrant democracy and to promote uh, development, then the role of the private sector, captains of industry, becomes more pivotal, more relevant, more critical now than ever before. And APEC remains to be one of the more significant and has to play a dynamic role. There have been naysayers, uh, negative perceptions, but I still believe APEC is like the rock of Gibraltar. It has a role, it has to succeed, and this is one forum that we have the opportunity to engage effectively. Uh, To my mind, we in the Asia Pacific look forward to this engagement because it would be an immense benefit to the region and to the world.
0: What do you hope, exact hope, I just put it this way, that this meeting could bring to the discussions that we're having right now?
2: We talk about inclusivity. We talk about globalized and globalization. We have to accept that uh, the uh, global situation, geopolitics, has changed. And um, we, Malaysia, for example, in the region, do acknowledge that. China has a role and has to be engaged effectively, there must be effort, greater effort, to ensure that it is uh, part of the global community. And, and, um, well, there is competition, fair. Um, But uh, this engagement, for example, between President Biden and Xi Jinping, to me, it is critical because it should give a clear message that we are here to be able to work together and trust each other to resolve uh, serious problems, climate issues in Ukraine or Gaza. There are too many contentious issues in the world and you must try and engage uh, accepting the fact that they, you may not achieve all the desired results. But mm-hmm. this engagement is important to, to, to try and establish areas that we can work together. Countries like, like Malaysia and ASEAN cannot be forced to be to see the world and the big powers in the cold war mindset for the benefit of countries emerging economies and also for the west and the east i believe that the solution is of course greater collaboration and uh, this cold war mindset must end because the world in the post normal times is more chaotic more complex and full of contradictions. It requires leaders with vision, with commitment, with shared ideals mm-hmm. to be able to resolve it effectively.
0: Let's talk about the economy, Mr. Prime Minister. I know you and your colleagues have been working on that within your own country, but also looking at the region. We see some of the uh, important trade mechanism working extremely well uh, in the Asia Pacific region. CPUTPP, for example, is one of those. And also we see RCEP as well, so how do you see these kind of trade mechanisms are helping us and moving forward we know the difficulties, but still how can we maintain a certain level of stability and predictability? Earlier you heard Mr. Morris coming from the business perspective, asking for that as business leader. So Mr. Prime Minister.
2: I don't think we have a choice. We emerge as a relatively more successful country economically, Malaysia, registering 9 10% growth and even budget surplus in the 90s because ours is a trading nation and um, through FTAs those days. Mm-hmm. The more FTAs we have, the more beneficial it is for the country. Now with new mechanisms in place, we should fully utilize. That is why I say that uh, and I believe that countries must be able to uh, engage more and uh, accept the fact that a multilateral arrangement is more beneficial. And multilateral arrangement means that countries cannot be marginalized or discriminated for geological reasons, for other reasons, uh, or issue hegemony, or whatever. So I, I, that is my position. And I think uh, most countries in ASEAN share this view.
0: Let's talk about some of the synergies among economies in the Asia Pacific region. Actually uh, among, between the north and south and even among the so-called south itself, there's tremendous synergy going on. Uh, I could put on the example between Malaysia and China, but of course that's only one of those many examples. So how do you see these kind of synergy that are already taking place despite of the fact that we have difficulties geopolitically for the world?
2: I don't share view of this bifurcation of contradictions, that's why I always uh, stress upon the new realities uh, that the old mindset of the Cold War must end. Mm. Um, It does not mean it just ended. Look at the uh, COP28, what is our concern? The um, industrialized rich countries committed uh, to uh, pay 100 billion and it's not forthcoming. Uh, so many other impositions for the emerging economies and I think to me it's unhealthy. Mm. We need to therefore have an effective mechanism that we will not uh, have this sort of division. Now that's why I uh, say I still maintain that the only way forward is to to see uh, us as one community. Climate change is not something peculiar to uh, the west or the east. We all suffer immensely and I even referred to the issues uh, either Ukraine or Gaza. We all suffer, and these issues should not be allowed to further divide, to sow the seed of dissension. And we must have a common vision, I mean, including, of course, the private sector. I don't believe that, I, I, at least I see the, the new dynamics and uh, um, narratives on CSR, on inclusivity, on justice, on better wages for the workers, on um, on issues of climate. There are total concerns, and these are universal concerns. What we lack in politics, in business,
0: in my humble view, is lack of humanity, lack of compassion. Mr. Prime Minister, I really enjoyed the quotes that you had from both the saints and the poets. Um, certainly, they are providing a lot of inspirations for us, but I still have to be pragmatic in my question. We are seeing uh, the coming year, 2024, with many elections going on in the world. Um, These economies, big, small, and yet there's always an issue of how political leaders are going to work on their domestic agenda vis a vis the state of the world. So, being a responsible player, from your perspective, representing the political leaders, what are some of the important steps do you see that are crucial these days for political leaders?
2: Of course, uh, there's just um, interesting quote from Churchill the statesman thinks of the next, or plans for the next generation, a politician for the next elections.
0: Do we see more statesmen or do we see well, more politicians?
2: I think you need to combine both, then you only think of the next elections, you condemn the next generation. Mm. So I think it is uh, important to make sure that both of these concerns are met, that people do understand the vision, the policies, and political decision. However, populist cannot condemn the next generation. I'm fortunate in this because we have secured a comfortable to the majority in parliament, and my election is another four years. You expect very tough action, and decisions. I'm going to make for Malaysia.
0: I see you're talking from a very neutral perspective (laughs) right now. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, now we are at an important crossroad. Economies, whether they are big or small or the the so-called middle-sized economies, are all trying to strive with the circumstances they have to deal with. What do you think? are some of the most important tools for political leaders like you to work with your business communities and also work on the economic partnerships with your friends and partners in the Asia-Pacific region.
2: Well, from my limited experience, um, in the early period, in the 90s, as finance minister, and now, I think uh, political stability is very critical. But clarity of policies is what is required. Mm. Consistent, clear policies whether it's energy or economic program or investments, etc. Then, of course, effective implementation. We all talk about ease of doing business. We all talk about one-stop agency. And I used to remind my bureaucrats, the one-stop agency does not mean that it stops there. You know, it means that you have to facilitate and accelerate the process. And I think if that is done in... in, I'm very fortunate, for example, uh, from China, from United States, Uh, from Europe and also the region. We have established uh, record investments far exceed our projections. I'm talking about real huge and this signifies a confidence in the private sector to the way we, we decide policies and we do business. My take based on our past experience is good governance. We must be tough on policies and tough against corruption and this uh, way of doing business, uh, squandering public funds to enrich the, those in power. And that is made very clear. I think we are in the, on the right track to propel the economy in the country in the next few years. Mm. Very ambitious. And I think based on the, the track record in the last six, seven months, we can achieve that. And thank you very much again. I need uh, your support. Malaysia and ASEAN is the most stable and vibrant uh, place to invest, and I look forward to meeting you individually uh, in Malaysia, God willing, inshallah. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Prime Minister. Appreciate it. With that, we're coming to the end of today's program. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of my teams here in San Francisco and in Beijing. (laughs)